the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Another day closer to Christmas. What an exciting season of celebration. And that's exactly what we're doing. Celebrating the birth, the first advent, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join us. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Do you notice the distinction? Well, as a man, he needs to be born, but as God, he can't be born. He always has been. He can only be given, and then given for a specific purpose. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're at as we catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner for today's Abounding Grace, looking once again at this amazing Christmas passage. Here's Pastor Gary with today's program. This is the one to whom you must look for salvation. It is the child of promise. It is as if the Lord says, I know all this stuff is going on in the world. Why do you think I stir up the wicked? I'm going to destroy them and convert some because I want to. I'm working to chasten my people. I'm working to bring the attention to one person, Jesus Christ, because remember, what is God's plan in history? It is that all men, all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. I know that that doesn't seem terribly important in 2016 because we know too much, but we know too much of the wrong things. And we know too quickly so that we can't digest and really think. But God still is unchanged. He wills men to honor the Son as they honor the Father. And He'll burn up everything else, saving the church. All men will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Because remember, as Ephesians tells us, chapter 1, excuse me, verse 10, His purpose for history is to bring all things into one under Christ the head. That is his goal. So God here in the midst of this confusion, and it was confusing, beloved. It was a scary time, a gloomy time, an uncertain time. But he promises them the Christ child, the Savior of the world. A little later in the narrative, Hezekiah immediately follows Ahaz and Remember, Hezekiah was the one who was pulling out his hair. What do I do now that the Assyrian armies are are here? They're camped on the outskirts, and everyone is saying to Hezekiah, make your peace. Oh, surely lightning is going to come down from the sky. And Hezekiah thinks somebody's got to do something. But God gave these three simple prophecies. A virgin will conceive. Unto us a child will be born. And he will have the Holy Spirit. 
and he will be quick in the fear of the Lord. Don't forget all this. Don't forget this today. We have had 2,700 years to learn this lesson. With all of our problems, all of our issues, all of our struggles, in our particular conflicts, God says to us, unto you, a child has been born. He has come. Who is he? Look at his identity there in verse 6. Just a few of the descriptions here. Unto us a child. Very significant. God didn't send Superman. God didn't send Luke Skywalker. And you know what? That's who everyone's looking for today. Give us a hero. God says, I'm going to send a baby. I'm going to send a baby because I'm going to humble your pride. I'm going to teach you. You need to be trusting my word because my word is more powerful than anything you seek with your eyes. It is wiser than anything you hear from men. It is brighter than all the darkness that you see around you. I'm going to send you this child. I've been promising him from the very beginning. I promised him to Adam and Eve. I I promised him to Abraham. I promised him to David. I'm going to send this child. He will be the seed of David, God's power in weakness. We forget this. We forget this. We forget this. We are looking for a home run or a touchdown. We're looking for something dramatic. We want God to intervene with fire from heaven but God's normal providence beloved in building and pushing forward his kingdom is to use the weak and the despised and the lowly let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 I want to read to you from verses 18 through 29 1 Corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Boy, if we could just stop here and, you know, breathe in the fresh air for just a moment from these verses. Because we think, 
We've got to do something. We need more laws. We need more people. We need some heroes. We need something. The gospel will work. We must remember. We live in God's world. I know it's hard. None of us have visually seen the ascended Christ, but we see by faith him who is invisible. And what do you need to see about him who is invisible? That he rules over everything so completely that nothing happens apart from his bidding or his wisdom or his direction. And that he is raising up those whom he will and setting down and humbling those whom he will. And always he will glorify and exalt his son and use very weak means to do so. Why? No boasting. He will not share his glory with another. By the way, you'll only be really happy when you are as God-centered as God is. As long as you have parts in your life that are me-centered Fear-centered, worry-centered. I've got to save my reputation-centered. I have to protect what I have centered. All of those things will be lost over time. And you know, God laughs at his enemies. Why? Because God has everything in his hands. He lacks nothing. He knows all things. He controls all things. He directs all things. His purposes are being realized and he is at total peace. Everything is going just as he wants it to go. And he has put all rule and authority and power in the hands of his son, which means everything is going just as Jesus Christ wants them to go. And remember who he was. A child, born the Son of God, incarnate. He took upon himself flesh. He was the promised child. He was born in weakness. He is the eternal Son of God, one with the Father in power and glory. And yet God says, I'm going to save the world through this child. Because otherwise everyone will think, I did it. You didn't do it, God says. Your status delusions, your utopian think tanks, you didn't do it. I did it through a baby born in a, mar- in a manger. This is the time of the year everyone sentimentalizes, romanticizes about the manger. Beloved, you need to go see some real mangers. You need to go to a farm. You need to see the stuff that is normally in mangers. It's not a pretty thing. It doesn't smell nice. But God is going to save the world through a baby born in a cow's feeding trough. Because he uses the lowly. This is his world. This is how he does it. No flesh will glory in his presence. Notice the parallel. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's no qualifier here. This is a son in the absolute sense, as we find it later in the New Testament, as well as in Psalm 2, which says, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his uniquely begotten son. Oh, we're sons and daughters of God by adoption. But he is the son of God by eternal relationship with his father. 
Oh, what love, what grace. But how could the father put his son into this world and afflict him as he did? Only because of his great love for us. Now notice the names of this child. You know them. Wonderful counselor. I actually think both of those should be separated from one another. In fact, Bob read it today as if they are separated from one another. I'm sure wonderful here is not really an adjective. And if you look actually at Judges chapter 13, verse 18, I think it's actually meant to stand on its own. It says, but the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Well, what does that mean? Exodus 15 says, God is glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Do you believe that all the wars that you see going on in the world right now, all of the craziness in many time, in many areas of our culture, is Jesus marching and making war on his enemies, our enemies? Do you believe that? You should, because his ways are wonderful but they are beyond our ability to take them in. And he does it, brothers and sisters, to bring peace into our world. He is called Counselor, the second name. Remember, he came from the bosom of the Father, John 1.18, and has, he has revealed his Father, chapter 11 of Isaiah. The idea of Counselor is the very center of the third prophecy in verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. When my Son comes, he will do wonderful things. He will teach and rule my people with power. The third name there is the mighty God. It is not a mighty God. It is not a mighty hero, as many liberal critics would say, because Isaiah only uses El for the God. He is El Gabor, the mighty divine warrior who will save sinners, build his church, and defeat his enemies. He is called the everlasting father, or Perhaps better to say the father of the age. To be more literal, he will bring in a new age of redemption. Do we appreciate that? Do you know its power in your own life? I think one of the things when we get to heaven that is going to be so surprising to us when we look back on our lives on earth and God reveals more to us is I didn't make use of what I had. I didn't make use of the grace that God gave me. I didn't really believe that Jesus was the father of the new age. But he says, and behold, I make all things new. But instead, I settled for my rut. I settled for the expectations of my age, low aims, carnal aims, just make sure I have enough to retire on. We are nothing more than dogs, just making sure we have enough food to make it through the day. The Lord Jesus Christ, the everlasting Father, is the origin and the source of the new age of redemption. And beloved, we must mentally take hold of that. And live to bring every aspect of our lives and this culture 
in the submission to him. Then he's called the Prince of Peace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he is our peace. He rules by the gospel of peace. Remember what his sword is? That sword that comes out of his mouth. It's called a two-edged sword. His powerful word. Now granted, his peace comes through conflict. Because he makes war on his enemies, but he makes wars to cease by making war against the city of man and defeating them through the spread of the gospel. That's our weapon of warfare. So no wonder Isaiah had such a hard time. During his ministry, tradition uh, says he was perhaps, from the reference in Hebrews 11, the one who was sawn in half. Because his own people hated his Christ-centeredness. Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel. Because Isaiah was continually calling God's people to salvation in very difficult warlike times. Can you imagine if we were being bombarded by foreign enemies? Now, you're going to have to use your imagination here. But we hear all these booms going off and another building is destroyed. But Isaiah is standing up in the midst and all of this. And he's saying, the child of promise is coming. The child of promise is coming. And God sent him to say that in the midst of the bombing, in the midst of the warfare. This is God what sent, God sent him to his people to preach to them. The people were telling him, Isaiah, come on. You're just weakening the people. We need all the men by the wall to do battle. And Jeremiah suffered the same criticism in a later generation. The people were shouting, everyone to the wall. Stop talking about the branch of David. Stop talking about Yahweh, our righteousness. Stop talking about Jesus. We need some people who will be practical and show us practical things to do. But you see, God always points us to Jesus, that baby in a manger who is now dead and buried and resurrected and sits on the right hand of God. So that we will realize there is nothing we can do except to trust the Lord and call upon His name and use His weapons of warfare. Which are powerful, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, to the demolishing of strongholds. That's the problem with U.S. Christians who have stopped using God's weapon and think the only thing, the only way to win this battle, however you want to define it, a battle for the family, battle for conservatism, battle for economic freedom, is by using the world's weapons. But God is always sending his prophets to say, Jesus, child of promise, a virgin shall conceive the branch of the Lord, the mighty one, So Paul used the weapons of the Lord. When the Lord uses his weapons, it wins. When the Lord, when the church suffers for righteousness sake, she wins the victory. When we buy into the city of man, then we've got to fight man's way. We've got to fight using the weapons that everyone will accept. Because you can't use the Bible. It's antiquated. And come on, I'm just too busy to pray. I can't do this. I need something that is practical. Lay it on me. Make it simple. Don't mess up my life. Don't mess up my family's schedule. Beloved, that's the way many in the church think. 
And then God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, I'm not going to send you to hell, but I'm certainly not going to give you joy. And I'm not going to give you peace like a river, and I'm not going to manifest myself to you, says Jesus. I will leave you in your gloom. Remember what he said in John 14, 21. He, has my, he who has my commandment and keep them, keeps them, he is that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Beloved, this is the age in which we are now blessed to live. Verse 7. Notice how God is calling, is going to build his kingdom. Now we've got to be careful. Let's not, let's not change gears from lowliness and weakness to mighty and strength. Isaiah says in verse 7, the increase of his government. So we think, is God going to drop his nuclear bombs? And Now we are going to live in white palaces, and now we're going to get to write the rules of bureaucracy in the United States? No, no, no. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace There will be no end. It is progressive. Jesus clarified this in his kingdom parables. It's like a mustard seed. It grows slowly but surely and huge. Like leaven, small, but it works and permeates through the whole loaf. How does it grow? It grows through the gospel. Because remember, Jesus has only one sword. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the sword of God the gospel. You know, one of the greatest things is that we had in the Reformation. And why do I say it? Because Christians died to have the Bible again. Would you die to preserve the Bible? You may think, well, I have the Bible. That's kind of a dumb question. Well, maybe. But, you know, people were murdered. People spent their whole lifetime translating God's word in the language of the people because the Roman Catholic Church had put the Bible in the vernacular on the banned list of forbidden books. Can't read it. Why? Because Roman Catholicism's settings, trapping ceremonies, system of pittance were not in the Bible. So the least amount of people who read the Bible, the less the church's difficulties against their corrupt system. What brought that down? People wanted the Bible for themselves to study, so men died for the Bible. But we've lost that sense. Jesus has brought in this age for us, but we have the very, and we have the very thoughts of God in the Bible. And I know that this sounds crazy in 2016. After all, there's Twitter and there's Google and there's Facebook, and then maybe we can fit in a little time for God's Word. Beloved, the Bible is the most powerful thing in the world today. Why do you think in this nation the government does not want millions and millions of our young people to be exposed to the Bible in schools? Why do you think? Well, we're just being religiously neutral, aren't we? Really? You know, recently in New York City, a public school had the kids sing... There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Come on. What's the real issue here? Unbelievers are afraid of God's word. They hate it. And sadly, the church today says, oh, let's just give a little snippet, a sermonette to make you feel good. 
We don't want to hear expository preaching, but through the lowly means of God's preaching, my friends, is how God will usher in His victory. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.